G'day. Welcome to God's Word Today's World, applying scripture to modern life. My name is Dan Van Werkhoven. I'm an Aussie writer and pastor living with my wife on a tiny island called Saipan. Join me today as I dig into scripture and explore how God's Word can still be applied to our lives thousands of years later. Hey, you're listening to episode three of the God's Word Today's World podcast. The topic of today's episode is one that I find quite challenging because it really pushed me to consider how I live my life. All who believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God have the Holy Spirit in them. Yet how many of us really live like we have the same Spirit in us who is in the disciples in our passage today in Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through to 41. I challenge everyone who listens to take stock of their lives and ask themselves that question. Do you live like you have the same Holy Spirit living in you? Alrighty, if you want access to the show notes and the full transcript, you can find that over at www.godswordtodaysworld.com forward slash listen and look for episode number three on the list. But without further ado, let's dig in. Last week in episode two of God's Word Today's World, we saw the disciples in Acts chapter two waiting in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. During that time, they decided to appoint a man to take Judas Iscariot's place amongst the twelve apostles. They chose two men who had been with Jesus from the beginning, were a part of his full ministry, and had also witnessed his death and resurrection. Once the disciples had chosen the two men, they cast lots to let God decide who would take Judas' place. The lot fell on Matthias. We saw how in today's world, Christians don't need to cast lots because as believers, We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, and we have the Word of God to guide us in making wise choices. Today, we're looking at the amazing event of the Holy Spirit's arrival. This can be found in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through to 41, and I'm using the World English Bible British Edition. Now when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all with one accord in one place. Suddenly there came from the sky a sound like the rushing of a mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Tongues like fire appeared and were distributed to them, and one sat on each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other languages, as the Spirit gave them the ability to speak. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under the sky. When the sound was heard, the multitude came together and were bewildered, because everyone heard them speaking in his own language. They were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Behold, aren't all these who speak Galileans? How do we hear everyone in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and people from Mesopotamia, 
Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the parts of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them speaking in our languages the mighty works of God. They were all amazed and were perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? Others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and spoke out to them, You men of Judea, and all you who dwell at Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to my words. For these aren't drunken, as you suppose, seeing it is only nine in the morning. But this is what has been spoken through the prophet Joel. It will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Yes, and on my servants and on my handmaidens in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. It will be that whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved by God to you by mighty works and wonders and signs which God did by him amongst you, even as you yourselves know, him being delivered up by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by the hand of lawless men, crucified and killed, whom God raised up, having freed him from the agony of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. Moreover, my flesh also will dwell in hope, because you will not leave my soul in Hades. Neither will you allow your Holy One to see decay. You made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may tell you freely of the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him, that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul wasn't left in Hades, and his flesh didn't see decay. This Jesus God raised up, to which we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted by the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this which you now see and hear. For David didn't ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit by my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. 
Let all the house of Israel therefore know certainly that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children, and to all who are far off, for all the Lord our God will call to himself. With many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. There were added that day about three thousand souls. What an incredible event. The 120 disciples are all together in the house when they hear a sound like a violent wind coming from heaven. It filled the whole house and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that came and rested on each of them. When the Holy Spirit arrived, he arrived in a very tangible way. They could see his arrival, they could hear his arrival, and they could feel his arrival. It would have been clear to them that this was what Jesus had told them to wait for, especially when they began to speak in other languages through the power of the Holy Spirit. But why did Jesus tell them they had to wait 10 days? Couldn't the Holy Spirit have come earlier? I'm sure through our lives we've realized that God has pretty great timing. Nothing happens before it should, and nothing happens later than it should. See, God knew what Pentecost meant to the Jewish people, his people. He knew it was a big event which thousands would attend. Pentecost means 50th. It refers to the Feast of Weeks, or Harvest, which was celebrated 50 days after the Passover, which was around when Jesus was crucified. Pentecost was one of the three annual events which had Jews from all over traveling to Jerusalem, some coming from as far as Rome, a trip which, at its fastest, would take 25 days, and could take as long as 50 that meant there were people traveling to Jerusalem for this event while Jesus was still on earth after his resurrection. Jesus gave the disciples all the tools they needed to be his witnesses and promised them a helper to see their task through. Then he handed the reins over to them right before a major event when thousands of Jews from all over the known world traveled to Jerusalem. The disciples knew Pentecost was coming up, and I'm sure they wondered how they were supposed to be Jesus' witnesses during that time. Maybe they were getting impatient for the Holy Spirit to arrive and were trying to make plans of their own for how they were going to be witnesses in Jerusalem. But before they could put any kind of plan into motion, a violent wind was heard and the Holy Spirit arrived. Any carefully thought-out plan that they had for how to be witnesses went out the window as the Holy Spirit filled them 
and gave them the ability to speak in other languages during that time. And it was a gift for a very, very particular purpose. And that purpose was speaking to the dozens of different people groups who had just arrived in Jerusalem. And not just one disciple speaking one language, but the Holy Spirit allowed dozens of different people groups to all hear them in their own languages at the same time. This event was nothing short of a miracle, and it wasn't Jesus performing this miracle. It was the disciples with the Holy Spirit's power. And so what did these disciples do with this incredible gift? They did what they were told. They declared the wonders of God. They were so excited about what was happening that they couldn't hide it. They had to tell people about their amazing God. The result? Some people made fun of them and accused them of being drunk. But then Peter stood up in front of them all and delivered one of the most incredible sermons recorded in the New Testament. He laid out the gospel clear and simple and straight from the Old Testament, the very books these Jews held as the ultimate truth. And what I read was just a portion of the sermon that Luke collected. Luke records that Peter warned them and pleaded with them with many other words. He was desperate to see them saved. He didn't just tell them the truth, he pleaded with them. He let his passion for the truth and his passion to see people be saved show in his words. He didn't hide it. And then verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Boom, drop the mic. One sermon, 3,000 people. When Jesus left, he left roughly 120 disciples in Jerusalem, who knows how many throughout Judea, but probably a number in every place he visited. But after the Holy Spirit came and gave Peter the words for that sermon, 3,000 were added to their number in one day, in one sermon. And you know what? This was how Jesus planned it. He didn't come to bring thousands and thousands of people to him. He came rather to, number one, pay the price for our sin and defeat death. And number two, disciple and equip a small group of believers who would then go out into the world and be his witnesses. Jesus could have easily have spent his time growing his church, but he came for something much larger much more important, more grand. He came to pay the price for our sin and defeat death, something that we can never do. The task of being witnesses was a task he gave to his disciples. What happened in Acts 2 fulfilled in part what Jesus had told them in John chapter 14, verse 12. The NIV reads, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. 
one could argue that what Peter did that day was greater than the works Jesus did because 3,000 people believed and were baptized. But that's the way it's supposed to be. This was the very task Jesus had prepared them for for three years, being his witnesses. And now they had the last thing they needed. They had the Holy Spirit's help. With the Holy Spirit's help, the disciples would do the works Jesus had been doing, and they would do even greater things than what Jesus had done, not by their own strength or skill, but by the Holy Spirit's power. And today, we have the very same Spirit in us that Peter had. Everyone who repents of their sin and chooses to follow Jesus as their Lord and Savior, the Son of God who left heaven to die for their sins, has the Holy Spirit. We have the same Spirit in us who gave Peter the words to say that led to 3,000 choosing to follow Jesus. We have the same Spirit that gave Peter the courage to stand up and confront the people who had mocked him and the other disciples, accusing them of being drunk at 9 a.m. But the way so many of us live our lives, you'd think that we don't have the same Holy Spirit in us. Jesus said that all who believe in him would do the works he had been doing, indeed even greater works than him. But it's hard to believe that when you look at many Christians today. Many are just content to just have salvation and have no desire to really live like Jesus did. Indeed, many of us avoid any confrontation about our faith. We remain silent when others mock Jesus. So many of us try to just be a part of the crowd, to fit in with the cool people, or the nerdy people, if you're like me. Very few believers in the West today live as if they really believe they're filled with the same Holy Spirit that Peter and the disciples were filled with, the same Holy Spirit that gave Peter the words to say that won 3,000 people over to Jesus. I've lost track of the number of times that I've chosen to keep quiet instead of being like Peter and being bold about Jesus. And what about you? If you put your life side by side with Peter, would someone else be able to look at it and say, yep, they're similar, they've both got the same Holy Spirit? Or would they look at your life side by side and say, "Mm, I don't know, I'm not seeing many similarities. You'd almost think they don't have the same Holy Spirit, or at least that they don't believe the Holy Spirit actually has any power in their life. Which are you? Could a stranger look at your life and the lives of the early disciples and see similarities? Or would they just see someone who's pretty much the same as everyone else? No different, nothing special, just another face in the crowd. My challenge today is this. Compare your life to that of the early disciples. Do you think the choices you make and the things you say declare God's grace and mercy? Do you think the way you respond to others displays the Holy Spirit in you? Do you declare the wonders of God with such abandon 
that people think you're a little crazy. See, when we're passionate, passionate about something, oftentimes we can't help talking about it if given half the chance. I'm sure we've all met that person who you mention a certain sports team to, and they'll talk for the next two hours about every tiny little detail about that team. But how many of us have that kind of passion about Jesus? If someone says to me, so you're a Christian? My response is generally, yep. Hmm. Wow, they can really tell how serious I am about my faith with that yelp, can't they? It was just oozing with passion. See, if we're not passionate about our faith, how on earth could we expect anyone else to be? It's true that some people will be driven nuts by a passionate hour-long ramble about how amazing God is and the incredible things Jesus did for us but some people will be swayed by that passion. Some people will ask themselves if there's something more to our faith. You get both extremes. But when we just respond with, yeah, I'm a Christian, nothing happens, no one hates us, and no one is won over to Christ. So instead, we should be passionate about Jesus, who came to earth to die for us because he loves us so much. How many people do we tell that Jesus died for us? I mean, if your mate stepped in front of a bullet for you and saved your life, you'd tell everyone. You'd scream their praises from the rooftops. You'd post on every social media outlet you're a member of. Everyone who knows you would know what your mate did for you. But Jesus... The Son of God who didn't just save our lives but saved our eternal souls? Silence. You can hear the crickets. And when you meet someone you admire in life, be it an athlete, an author, an actor, you tell everyone. People can see the crazed glow in your eyes as you recount that time you shook Mrs. Famous Person's hand. But the creator of the universe, of our very lives, God, who we have a personal relationship with, who we can talk directly to, when people ask us about him, how many of them see our eyes glaze over as we have to talk about God again? How many see us get nervous as we try to think of what to even say about God? Can't they instead ask about that time I shook Mrs. Famous Person's hand? That's a cool story. So I'll close with this. Where is our passion for God? Where is our awe for what Jesus did for us on the cross? Where are we allowing the Holy Spirit to influence our lives? Let's be so passionate about Jesus that the world thinks we're a little bit crazy, like the disciples in Acts chapter 2. Thank you for joining me today on God's Word Today's World. If you'd like to view the show notes or leave a comment, you can find the complete list of all podcast episodes over at 
www.godswordtodaysworld.com forward slash listen. Hope to see you next week. Now go apply God's word to your life.